0: Hi and welcome to the Wellness Mama Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com. Today's interesting fact. Did you know that dogs and cats are not the only mammals that shed? The human body is constantly shedding dead skin to the tune of 600,000 particles every single year or about 1.5 pounds of discarded skin flakes. By age 70, this will have led up to approximately 105 pounds of dead skin cells. Today's guest, Dr. Ben Lynch, is a cell and molecular biologist and a functional medicine doctor who specializes in MTHFR gene mutations. He's also a father and a husband. He has three boys, and he's lived everywhere from Calcutta to Australia to Somo Somo and traveled everywhere in between. He founded MTHFR.net and SeekingHealth.com and spends his time speaking, presenting, and writing about methylation-related health problems. Dr. Ben, welcome, and thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure
0: awesome well i 'm excited to have you on to really delve into uh, what I believe is becoming a really widespread problem, but that i don 't feel like there's very much awareness about and i 've written with on it a little bit, but i 'm by no means an expert and you are so i 'm excited to have you here to delve in and this issue is methylation and mthfr gene defects and so from from my understanding, which i 'll admit is very limited um, since i don 't have the scientific background that you do this is there's a gene in your body that's responsible for methylation, which is the process of creating and breaking down certain nutrients so that they're usable for the body. And this obviously would impact everything from your immune system to your mental health, and especially your detoxification reactions in your body, the body's natural process that this happens. Um, And so if someone has an impaired ability to methylate, this can lead to all sorts of deficiencies and or actual problems. And so um, you're an expert on this and I'm excited to have you here to explain it more in depth, but can you tell us what is MTHFR and MTHFR gene defects and how can they impact the body?
1: Yeah, great question. And and thank you for all you do increasing the awareness. I really appreciate that. And uh, so MTHFR is, is basically just an abbreviation for an a key enzyme in the body that helps do exactly what you were saying earlier is, is it supports methylation. So, MTHFR, we know folic acid, right? I mean, folic acid is everywhere, it's in enriched foods, it's in many of your supplements. And, but what you don't know is your body has to take that folic acid and it has to completely change it to how the body will use it. So, just because you supplement with folic acid doesn't mean your body's going to use it. So, there's all these genes that will take that folic acid and it will change it into the body's most active form, which is called methylfolate, and that is methylated folate. So you're just saying how methylation is important. Well, there's, there's one right there. You're saying methylation is needed to make nutrients for your body, and that's absolutely right, and methylfolate is one of them. It's methylated folate. So when you have an MTHFR problem, uh, this, this gene defect, which is pervasive, it's actually... 50% of the United States, you know, 50% of Americans have this issue and it's, it, it varies in degrees. So when I say 50% have it, it's to some degree. So some, some might have a more serious one and some may have a less serious one. And so what happens is this enzyme, well, genes make enzymes. So the MTHFR is an actual gene in the human body, but genes do things. And the, the function of the MTHFR gene is to make the enzyme. And the enzymes are the things that actually do the work. They're the ones running around with the pickaxes and the shovels. And it's it it's, will simplify things. It's attaching itself to the, um, the folic acid. And it's changing it into the body's most usable form of folic acid, which is methylfolate. Now, that is completely abbreviated. And it's not technically correct, but it's correct enough for what you guys and gals need to know. So your body will take that methylated folate then that's produced by the MTHFR enzyme and it will do things like Katie was saying about making your neurotransmitters how you think, how you feel. It will support your immune system. It will help you sleep at night. It will get the chemicals out of your body. It will turn your genes on and off because you don't want genes on and off all the time that can lead to cancer um, if they're turning on all the time. Now what the MTHFR gene problem does is it slows the methylation process down. And it's a it's a very key key step for methylation regulation. So if you have uh MTHFR then and you're not eating well we'll get into more detail. So I'll just keep it that simple, Katie, and you can lead to the next question.
0: Okay. That's so fascinating. And when I started reading about this, I was just blown away because like you said, fifty percent of the population has this to some degree, and is that has that been um, throughout history, or are we seeing an increase in this recently, or is testing just better?
1: Great question. I think it's I think it's all three. I think there's increased awareness, so there's more testing, but there are plenty of papers out there, and it makes sense that saying that this this genetic defect is is increasing in the population, and I believe it's increasing in the population. And when you look at the autistic children being born and Down syndrome and, and chemical sensitivity and, and uh, susceptibility to chemicals, it, it makes sense that, that uh, our bodies are not working very well. And I think it's partially because of this defect is increasing in the population. But it's also, it, it has been around in history and there, there is a good reason to have MTHFR uh, gene mutations in certain populations. And I don't want to get into that um, but that was back in the day when people didn't have access um, to folate or, or other things. So there's, there's reasons why the MTH4 defect was selected for in history. But now we're forcing uh, it's not even selection. I, I call it unnatural deselection. And because what's happening is we have a lot of in vitro, in vitro fertilization now, we have forced pregnancies with hormones and steroids. Or, or massive amounts of nutrition um, and, and these things are, are great because we want to have our children and we want to have a healthy pregnancy and the end result of having a beautiful baby and a child of our own but we're, we're, we're forgetting that this child is potentially susceptible to more toxins in the environment or, or increased stresses because they, they can't think or get rid of chemicals in their brain faster. Um, fast enough like other people without this defect. So it's definitely increasing in the population and uh, it's one that we really need to be aware of as as parents.
0: I'm so glad you brought up um, the pregnancy aspect because a large portion of my readers and listeners are either pregnant or have been or plan to be. Um, And I think that that's a really important thing, especially when you mentioned how it can affect genes turning on and off and also nutrient absorption. And those are both obviously huge factors when a woman's pregnant. Um, And I know when I was pregnant and Um, Most women when they're pregnant are told to take folic acid, and that's a big thing from your doctors. Make sure you get enough folic acid. Um, And Are there women who should take folic acid itself, or are there better forms? I know it's also added to every enriched food, um, and I found out for myself that it, it wasn't helping me at all. In fact, it was harming me, but can you talk about is there a role for folic acid, or is there a better way?
1: Fantastic question. And, and just to let you know, if you don't know already, my, my passion is actually to, to optimize the lives of unborn children. So my, 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 the reason I wake up in the morning is to think of how I can optimize a pregnancy for uh, a future mother and father. So that child can be the best it can be throughout its entire life. Because as, as a physician, What's our job? Our job is really, doctor stands for docere. And it comes from docere. And docere means to educate. So a doctor's primary role actually is to educate. So that's what we do. And so if we can educate people, especially those working to get, uh, you know, trying to get pregnant and have a healthy baby, then that I believe is, is where we need to start as physicians because, you know, treating illness is one thing, but optimizing a future life is another, at least for me. So I believe that folic acid is, is completely the wrong thing to do and the history of why folic acid was even created uh, is because we strip the nutrients from flour so it can be more shelf-stable. So it came during the industrial era, era. That's when the need came about because bread was expiring on the shelves and had to be thrown out. So they discovered that if they strip all the nutrients out of the bread and the bran and, and so on, that it could sit there on the shelf for a lot longer. Then they started noticing all these neural tube defects coming in the population and birth defects. I was like, what the heck, what's going on? And they said, well, they realized they stripped all the nutrients out of the dang flour, the food that we're eating. So instead of saying, well, you know, let's just make fresh bread every day, they instead put a synthetic folic acid into the bread and that synthetic folic acid is not recognized by the body very well. It's absorbed and carried around, but it doesn't do any biochemical function without the body transforming it. So that's why you didn't feel anything from it. And that's also why it was causing potential harm for you. So I believe that all women and men and children, everyone in the United States should not use folic acid. And that is a huge statement. I know many of you are like, who in the heck, where'd this guy come from? But believe me, I've studied the science in and out and it it doesn't make any sense. It's actually very detrimental and there's, there's articles that I've written that go into detail on this. But there are other forms available. So folic acid was the only thing that was available at the time. And it was created because it was very stable. And it didn't break down. And so they put it in the foods. And you can cook with it and it didn't really destroy, uh, get destroyed. So, but now nowadays, there's better forms. So would you be... I mean, do you take a horse and buggy from California to New York to get there? Or are you going to take an airplane, right? We, we evolve in what we use. So let's get rid of the folic acid, which was made a long time ago to serve a purpose. But that purpose is, is gone. It's, it's, I mean, the purpose still exists. It's needed because our foods are still poor and stripped out. But we need to use the more appropriate nutrients. And those two nutrients are folinic acid, So F-O-L-I-N-I-C, and Katie's going to put some links up for you guys so you can uh, get these uh, words and spellings correct. So folinic acid is one form, and that is actually made by and used by the body. And then there's another form, I'm going to simplify the name, it's called methylfolate, and methylfolate is what helps really support your methylation, and that's what the MTHFR enzyme makes. And so if you have that MTHFR defect, and you're consuming folic acid, that synthetic folic acid, and you have the MTHFR defect, that folic acid is doing very, very little. And so if you're pregnant, you need to be, uh, or working on getting pregnant, then you need to be uh, not taking folic acid in and getting the folinic acid and methylfolate.
0: Yeah, I love that you bring that up so well on your site. And I'll make sure to link to the articles you have about folic acid and, and the better forms as well as to the actual supplements that um, that I take that have helped me so much. And I love that you're so focused on helping unborn children. Because as a mom, I truly believe like that's a very special time when you're able to give them a huge advantage if you are taking care of your body correctly and hel- living a healthy lifestyle. But there are things that pregnant moms can do and should do to help their unborn babies. And um, since you mentioned that this methylation is involved with uh, fertility as well, especially with childbirth. Can you talk about that? If someone has a methylation defect and maybe doesn't know it or isn't working with it correctly, can this cause fertility problems as well?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, uh, infertility, one of the top study genes for infertility is actually MTHFR. So if you you dig through the the online research that's provided by, you know, it's indexed, it's PubMed, so pubmed.gov, Pubmed. That's where a lot of the research articles are available, and even the public can go there and read. And that's where I get a lot of my information. So, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, what? You repeat your question. Sorry.
0: Yeah, about um, infertility, and can if someone has a oh. defect and doesn't realize it, can that lead to right. infertility?
1: Right. So yes, and if your methylation is is not working very well, and you have an MTHFR defect. Um, that combination is, is not good. So let's, let's talk about why that is. And so the MTHFR enzyme, what it does is it makes the body's most active form of folate, which is methylated folate, which then supports methylation. Now, if you have an MTHFR defect, that conversion of that, we'll say, folate to methylfolate is, is very, very, is slowed down. So if you have a... a less severe form, you have a 20% reduction in your body's ability to convert folate to methylfolate. If you have another form, you have a 40% reduction in being able to convert folate to methylfolate. Now, if you have the form like I do, then you, you have a 75% reduction in the, in the ability to convert folate to methylfolate. So that means my ability to support methylation through the folate pathway is only 25% effective if I'm not eating leafy greens, and we'll get into that later. So it's only 25% effective. So that means I can't really make cell membranes very well. I can't make... um, um, Sorry. Um, I can't make uh, neurotransmitters. I can't get rid of uh, chemicals in, in the body, especially arsenic. Arsenic is very pervasive in our food and our water, and that is an issue. So if you have increased levels of arsenic, then that causes a lot of problems and one of those problems is infertility. So when you look at methylation and then you take another step back and you, you evaluate if you have MTHFR gene defect and then you look at the conditions that you have and one of them may be infertility and you trace it all back and you say, okay, you know what came first, the, the metal for the car or the, the finished car itself? And we'll say that finished car is, is fertility and, but you have all these parts and MTHFR is a part, methylation is a part and all the all this other steps between is another part. So, you know, it's, it's a very complicated way or a complicated system and there's many things that occur for fertility to happen. And yes, this is one of those things that needs to be evaluated for infertility.
0: That makes perfect sense. And my husband and I are in the process of working on getting all of our children tested for MTHFR defects as well, just so we know um, what we can be doing, if any of them have inherited it from me, that, that we can be doing for them. But how might um, a defect like this affect a child? What might be some things parents might notice that maybe would be a clue that it would be good to, to talk to a doctor about this?
1: Well, a clue would be family history. So, family history or personal history. So, given that it's so prevalent, that MDGFR is so prevalent, the likelihood of you having it is, is, is one and two. So, that's pretty high. And what you would look for is, is cardiovascular disease present in my family, either mother father or both. And that means heart attacks, blood clots. Um, and, you know, so we, we can say, you know, those would be two. Uh, high blood pressure and then or high homocysteine and then is dementia or Alzheimer's prevalent is uh, chronic fatigue or generalized fatigue present is bipolar schizophrenia or any other type of mental dysfunction present in our family depression um, increased anxiety all the time uh, inability to sleep insomnia um, I mean, all these things, and you're thinking, why, why is all this connected? It's because methylation does so many things, and MTHFR supports methylation. So it, if you look at family history and you see consistent disease patterns throughout your family, get tested, and especially if you have a chronic disease. So if that is, that is another issue. So if you're living with, with Lyme disease or uh, have you know, autism in the family or on the spectrum, then that is that is another reason to to go get tested and, and evaluate um and now to get tested there are there are different ways and um so i'll go ahead and let let you lead into that question
0: okay yeah i was going to say i i know um i was tested through my doctor um but are there ways people can get that test done and and find out if they have a defect um and I know that there are ones I've heard of things like um, 23andMe that offers genetic testing, but they don't interpret it. So you're given a bunch of raw data, but you won't necessarily, unless you know how to interpret that, know what to do with it. So what do you recommend for the best testing options and to find out? Because um, like you said, even if you suspect that you have a gene defect, it's important to know which one because you would do things differently, potentially, depending on what your level of methylation was. Is that right?
1: Yeah, potentially. And, and just... And let me back up in saying this too. I mean, a lot of people might be scared right now and thinking, oh my God, I I might have this defect. Well, I personally have this defect. I'm 41. I'm healthy. I'm fit. I'm active. I've got three healthy babies or boys. They're not babies anymore. Kind of wish they were, um, but they're growing up fast. Um, So just because you have an MTHFR gene defect doesn't mean that you're sentenced to a a life of misery and, and discomfort. Quite the contrary if you do a genetic test and you identify that you have this defect, this empty MTHR issue, that actually is very empowering. And it was very aha for me when I found it because I sprayed Roundup all over our family's ranch when I was a kid. I put my hands in, in bags of chemical fertilizers and we had crop dusters flowing over our, uh, our ranch when I grew up and spraying the field next door to us. And, you know, I was exposed to all sorts of chemicals and and I just never felt right as a kid, and I, I just you, know, you just you know some kids can just run and, and eat like crap and, and be fine and still excel in school. And I mean, I excelled in school, but I just never felt quite good. And I, when I tested and I learned about this empty Jafar, I personally tested myself and my entire family, and, and I discovered I had this defect. Man, it, it changed everything for me um, in a really good way. So it's very empowering. But there's a lot of fear involved with genetic testing. And what I recommend is people testing for just MTHFR in the beginning. And now MTHFR is one of 20-some thousand genes in the body. It's not like it's the only one that you need to test for. But it's, it's a good one to start with because it's so central to our biochemistry and so central to how we think, feel, uh, get rid of bugs in our body that are making us sick, supporting our immune system, supporting our detoxification systems. It's so, so central to what we do um, to stay healthy and, and live a vibrant life. So starting with that gene, genetic test is for just MTFR is is really important. And because one, it gives you a place to start. It's not overwhelming. It's not fear-driven. And it's more empowering. It's not like going out and, and testing yourself for the, that breast cancer gene, BRCA1 or 2. That, that is a whole other ball of wax, which, you know, I have a big issue with. Um, but anyway, so what you can do is you go to your doctor and, and you say, you know, I've, I've recently learned about MTGFR. Now, if their eyes roll and they're like, oh, God, here's another one, then that doctor may be not the one to go to maybe not the one to go to at least for this, this specific issue. If you love that doctor for what they do for you in general, excellent, keep with them. But if they're rolling their eyes and they have no clue and they don't want to learn about MTHFR, then you need to find another doctor. And having more than one doctor is totally fine. Team care is actually better than having one doctor. So medicine is difficult, and so having more than one doctor to, to uh, support you is, is fantastic. So try to find a good doctor. And uh, Katie will put a, a list of where you can find some good docs later as well. But the key with ordering an MTHFR test is to first understand if your insurance is going to pay for it. Because if your insurance doesn't compensate you, then that can be a very, very expensive test. I mean, it can be $1,000, which is absolutely ridiculous. But if insurance covers it, it can be completely paid for. So you need to find that out first. And I don't want you to get stiffed with a big bill. Now, if you, if you don't have insurance or you're not sure if it's going to cover, then you can get a test through a lab through your doctor, but your doctor needs to open an account with SpectraCell. Uh, Cell Labs uh, offers genetic testing, and they're very good with the insurance companies, and uh, they test just MTHFR. And then there is also Molecular Testing Labs, and Molecular Testing Labs has a swab swab test, a cheek swab. So that's great for kids or those who are scared of needles. You just take this little Q-tip, basically. You swab your cheek and you stick it in a vial and off it goes. Spectre cell is a blood test. Um, now, are they both accurate? Yes, they're both very, very accurate. So you brought up 23andMe. 23andMe is a, is a very useful test for a doctor who knows what they're doing. But this is pioneering. We're in a pioneering time with how we're using the genetics Um, and most people are, uh, most doctors are doing it absolutely wrong. And I was doing it wrong myself in the beginning. So I do not recommend 23andMe uh, right now, um, because I'm so nervous that people are getting the wrong information. It's causing more fear, causing more problems. And uh, so I just recommend testing MDHFR at this point.
0: That's great advice. And I'll make sure to include links as well to the two tests that you mentioned. And I love that you Um, nail home that point that even if you find out that you have a defect, you are not your defect. And as we're learning more about genes, we're also learning about epigenetics and that we can change how how these are expressed. And even um, like the breast cancer gene, that's not a guarantee that you're going to get breast cancer and there are things you can do. So that was such an excellent point that you made. Um, And another area I'm curious about from a personal perspective is um, about B12 and methylation because I recently found out that I uh, was low in B12 and I have felt really good from supplementing with a methylated form of B12 in, um, in the form of B12 shots. But can this be related to the methylation defect that I have and what can help with this if someone has a B12 deficiency?
1: Oh, great question. And not many people uh, connect those two. So kudos to you, Katie, for, for identifying that. So It's, there's a tag team. So, you know, you can't have a kid without an opposite sex partner. So, I mean, you, you got to have, um, you know, a biological child, you've got to have a woman and a man to conceive a child. Now you need to have methylated folate and you need to have methylated B12 for methylation to work. If you have one or the other, Methylation does not work at least in the main pathway. There's two. There's other pathways of methylation, but Katie and I are talking about the primary one here. And you need B12 and methylated folate for that to happen. And if you have, if say, let's say you don't have any MTHFR defect, you get the lab test back and say you're you're fine. You're you're you don't have the the presence of that gene defect. Not a problem. Your methylation could still be completely hosed and it can be hosed for a variety of reasons, but one of those reasons could be that you're low in B12. And if you're low in B12, methylation does not work. So if you take take your two hands, and say your left hand is methylfolate, and your right hand is methylcobalamin, and then you take your two thumbs, and you connect them together, that is your methylated folate and your methylcobalamin touching. Your two thumbs are methylated folate and methylcobalamin. Now, if you push your thumbs down so your index fingers touch, that will say is methylation turning on. Okay, So if you do that at home and you just take your two thumbs, your left methylfolate, your right methylcobalamin, you touch those two, you have both in your body, they're both circulating around, you push your thumbs down towards the table and your index fingers touch, your methylation's on. If you're deficient in B12, that that is not going to happen. Your, your right thumb can't connect to your left thumb. So you need to be having adequate forms of B12 in your system. And B12 deficiency is very, 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 very common, extremely common. And the testing for it is, is very bad. And it's, there's, there's some really good books out there. I think it's Could It Be B12 uh, is, a, is a very good book. Uh, again, Could It Be B12, I think, is a, is a great book for a lot of people to read. And there are different forms of B12 out there. Um, But those who are susceptible to B12 deficiency are those with, there are changing defects in that area too, but don't concern yourself with that. Um, Those who are susceptible are those who are taking antacids. And a lot of people are taking antacids. They're getting acid reflux for various reasons. And they take an antacid and then your B12 levels uh, really drop. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, your B12 levels drop. So um, in fact, they, they drop very quickly if you're not supplementing. So those are the two main ones. And there's also metformin for those bi- diabetics um, are at risk because metformin uh, has issues with B12. And there's another really book good book by Susie Cohen called Drug Muggers. Uh, Drug Muggers is a really good book which gets into details on, on uh, which drugs deplete you with various nutrients. So you can look up folate and B12. But yes, in short, if you're low in B12, um, it's a big problem. Your methylation is is not going to be working.
0: Great recommendations on the books. I'll make sure to put those in as well. Um, And I'm very much obviously food first. That's my background in nutrition. And I feel like as we learn more about genetic defects and more ability to test our genes, we're probably going to learn more specialized ways that we can support our bodies. But for now, one thing that we can always do is have a very nutrient-dense diet that's especially supportive if we know we have an issue like this. And I always say you can't out-supplement or out-exercise a poor diet. So if someone has a, uh, a gene defect that affects methylation, what would be some dietary factors they could optimize? What would be a good diet for someone like this?
1: Oh, Yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, it, it, food is first. Uh, let food be thy medicine, right? That's a pretty famous quote. Yes. Um, so it's this is the mainstay, and you're you're absolutely right. You cannot out exercise or out supplement a a poor diet. It's just it, it just it's just impossible. And I cannot tell you how many times I've worked with patients, and the only thing I've done was fix their diet. That's it. That's it. I gave them no supplements, no meds, no other lifestyle changes, no other recommendations. I just told them what to eat and what not to eat, and, and that's it's just food. It's just healthy food, unprocessed healthy food. So And they, they felt better, immensely um, better. And so in order to get the types of folate that our body really wants and uses, processed foods, no, scratch off the list. Now, that's not saying you can't ever eat processed foods, but you can't eat them for your mainstay. I mean, I eat chips, sometimes i mean i who doesn't love chips you know i kettle chips they're 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 pretty good um but now it doesn't mean that that should be your primary diet dairy choice so you want to get your your folate from your leafy greens so if you can grow your own leafy greens and they're very very easy i mean get out there with your kids make a, a raised garden with non-pressure-treated wood. You don't want to use pressure-treated wood to make a, a raised garden bed. You could use pots. You could use clay pots. You could use rocks. Uh, you can, Or you can just use some basic lumber for a raised bed. Um, but if you, if you don't have any um, space, they even have uh, things that you can hang on your fence now to that w- you can put pots in and grow your own food. They're really cool. Um, so grow your own leafy greens. And this is the time of year to do it. And eat those. And dark leafy greens are best. You could also put them in a blender and, and make smoothies out of them. Um, now, greens, some of them are very high in oxalates. And some of you are probably on a low oxalate diet. So uh, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But those of you who are on a low oxalate diet, find veggies that are, that are uh, low oxalate because it can flare you possibly. Um, spinach, for example. Um, the other one is B12 is found only in red meat. So it's, it's those of you who would say or think that, that uh, you can get it from uh, certain probiotics or certain bacteria make B12, you're right. You're absolutely right. It does make certain uh, types of B12, but it's B12 that's made for those specific bacteria. Our body does not use it. It does not use it. In fact, if you have very high levels of B12 and you're a vegan or a vegetarian, you might have SIBO or some type of bacterial overgrowth that is producing a bunch of B12, but when that lab is checking your blood for B12, it's not looking for methylcobalamin. It's it's not segmenting out the different types of B12. It's not looking at hydroxocobalamin, cyanocobalamin, just cobalamin or methylcobalamin or adenosylcobalamin. It's 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 looking at this huge melting pot, and we don't know which form they're they're looking at. So that, that could be a key sign if you don't feel right, especially if you have digestive issues, if you have elevated B12 with your serum. So that's that's where you get your B12 and your your folates mainly.
0: That's great advice. And I I know you've written and talked before about the importance of leafy greens, and I love that because that's one of my big things too. And I think most health experts agree that uh, most people will benefit from adding more leafy greens to their diet. There doesn't seem to be too much debate on that. Um, and you mentioned that uh, MTHFR defects can contribute to an array of health problems. And from what I've read, it also makes it harder for the body to perform its natural detoxification reactions. And uh, for me, I've noticed if I drink alcohol, I, it doesn't seem to leave my system as quickly as like my husband, for instance. And um, if I'm exposed to certain chemicals, I feel that for a while. And um, I, I'm wondering if that that could be also related to the gene defect. What kind of problems can something like this cause um, with detoxification?
1: Great, great point and great example. So alcohol is a, is a great one. I never tolerated it well either. i I rode competitively in at uh, in college, University of washington and and some of my teammates, they were just total beasts. I mean they could they could beat anybody uh, in the rowing and racing. And then they could just party hard and, and drink like crazy. And I couldn't drink. I mean, I, I tried to drink and, and I, I felt horrible. And there was that genetic defect sitting there lurking. So that helped explain it. And what, what happens when you, when you drink alcohol, alcohol gets broken down into numerous things, but one of them is called acetylaldehyde. And acetylaldehyde needs to have um, certain nutrients to break it down and acetylaldehyde also blocks methylation it actually will inhibit where that methylfolate and methylcobalamin work and intersect so that if you're drinking alcohol and you're accumulating your acetaldehyde then and you don't have enough methylfolate and methylcobalamin to move that out of there you're going to feel really bad um, so if you reduce your alcohol then that methylation pathway will work a lot better. So that that's one of the key things that I tell people is if, if you have a genetic defect, then you need to really either cut down on your alcohol intake or, or just stop it altogether. I mean, it's just a general good recommendation anyway, but if you don't feel good, then uh, alcohol is, could be a, a big player in that and it's because it inhibits methylation. Now, other issues with, with uh, chemicals and Compounds, you know, we mentioned arsenic earlier, and arsenic is is everywhere. I mean, a lot of people are gluten free now, and they're eating uh, rice, which is high in, in arsenic, and a lot of people don't eat red meat uh, for various reasons, so they eat a lot of chicken, and chicken is everywhere, and chicken are very high in arsenic, also, at least some of them, and it's because they were these. There's various reasons for it, and then also. Uh, you're drinking water. So if you're not filtering your water, then there's arsenic in the water. And we had some president not too long ago which increased the quote-unquote safe levels of arsenic in our drinking water. They raised it. They didn't lower it. They raised it. And it's because these companies were dumping arsenic in the water tables, uh, into the water, and it was increasing the arsenic levels. And so telling, t- t- instead of requiring these companies to clean their stuff up, and making it safe for everywhere and everyone, the government decided to increase the level of permissible uh, arsenic in our drinking water. And that has a tremendous effect in not only our methylation, but also in our energy. So if you're constantly tired, it could be arsenic as well. So you can check your RBC arsenic levels or your red blood cell arsenic levels in you or your kid. And... um, it's, it's a very important point to do that, and a lot of labs do that. A lot of general labs, and that should be covered by insurance. Um, and the reason why arsenic levels can be accumulate is because you need you need glutathione to get it out, which the body is the body's number one antioxidant and detoxifier. It's it's very very critical. It's it's absolutely primary. And if you're low in glutathione, you're in a lot of trouble for a lot of reasons. And then the other one is SAMe. And SAMe, you may have heard about being really useful for maybe pain reduction or, or uh, insomnia or depression. And since it's kind of weird, he's like, well, why would you give SAMe for pain or depression or insomnia or detoxification? So SAMe is the body's number one methylator. And that's what methylfolate and methylcobalamin make. So methylcobalamin and methylfolate make SAMe. So if you're low in either one of those, then your SAMe is low and then your, and your arsenic levels might, might go up and your glutathione levels will also be low. So there's a lot of connections and I could, I could go on with many different other ones.
0: That's really helpful. What are some safe ways that someone could go about helping the body detox? Because I, one of the reasons I originally found you actually is that um, I was using a sauna and it I would notice I would feel better, but if I stayed in too long, I would actually feel worse and my skin Mm -hmm. would itch and it would create all these problems. And it made me start researching like, why, why am I having this reaction when other people might not? Um, And I have friends who find out about issues like this and realize that they're not, uh, their bodies are not detoxifying correctly and jump into a big detoxification program or buy one of these cleanses online. And um, I feel like there's so many considerations here, but what are some safe ways that someone could start to help their body in that way?
1: Great, great point. So number one is, is, is so when you're talking about detoxifying or, or cleansing or just purifying in general, there's things that you need to do first. And so the, the first one is to stop putting the stuff in. So if you're eating garbage foods and drinking a lot of alcohol, you need to be conscious of that and, and change that. If you are drinking unfiltered water, you need to start filtering your water. If you are, um, you know, if you're buying furniture that's press board and it's off-gassing formaldehyde, then you need to get rid of that and buy some all-wood furniture or all-metal or glass or whatever. Some, that's not going to be off-gassing. So you got to reduce the amount of chemicals that are coming into your body before you even consider detoxing. Because otherwise there's no point, right? I mean, why would you detox if you are still putting the stuff in you? So number one is, is to reduce the input. And then number two, I'm a huge fan of sauna, and but you got to do it right. And so, you know, Katie, I I was just like you. I could, after rowing, we'd be rowing out there in Lake Washington in the, in the middle of winter. Sometimes we would breaking the ice and it'd be absolutely freezing. And you'd come in after a row, and and we get we jump in the sauna, and my teammates would be sitting in there hanging out, laughing and warming up, I'd be there for seriously about five minutes and I'd have to get out. I felt totally sick. Again, what the heck is wrong with me? I can't tolerate the sauna. So after a lot of time and, and playing with various nutrients and changing my lifestyle and diet, I finally can stay in the sauna for hours at a time. I mean, I go to saunas here in Seattle and I literally am in there for half the day. Uh, in and out. So sauna is a great way, but you have to do it right. And the quick there's articles on net that you can cite, um, Katie, which gives in-depth information about this, but I also want to shoot a video um, giving information about that, but for now I don't have it. But quickly, uh, sauna is a great way, but the best thing to do with sauna is you don't be macho. Don't think that you're in there for as long as you can is better. The first sign of feeling weird, not even off or sick, but just, you know, my eyes, I'm starting to see something weird or I'm feeling just a tiny bit dizzy or, you know, I'm getting a little bit of a headache or my foot's starting to tingle. Get out of there. Just get out. You're done. And start at low temperatures. And you want to take certain nutrients prior to sauna as well. Um, you never want a sauna uh, if you're dehydrated or uh, without food. So there's, there's, there's a lot of information for uh, sauna, but sauna is one. Another one would be um, Epsom Salt Baths. I'm a huge fan of Epsom Salt and uh, a great website to get bulk Epsom Salt is saltworks.com. I have no affiliation with them, uh, but you can buy these huge bag bags, you know, 40, 50-pound bags of Epsom Salt for a fraction of what you could get it at your local store and save a lot of money. Um, if you don't have a bath and you don't have a sauna or you don't like saunas or baths, then you just dress like crazy. You put on a bunch of clothes and uh, get hot. You know, go for a, a long walk and just sweat. It doesn't matter how you sweat, as long as you sweat, you're gonna detox. And the body's is your primary detoxification organ is your skin. So if you can sweat, you can get all that stuff out of you quickly. That's fantastic. And if you have a skin disorder, if you're, if you're itching or if you have eczema or psoriasis, if you've got your, uh, pimples, then that is a sign that your liver is overworked. So if you can sweat, then you're getting a lot more chemicals out and your liver can now do more work. So it's any type of skin dysfunction... is a a good sign that your liver is overworked. So you can start working on your liver too. And a key little quick fact about your liver is 85% of all methylation occurs in your liver. So that is how important methylation is for your liver. So that's where most of it takes place.
0: That's so fascinating. Yeah, that was really helpful. Thank you. And I love that you also mentioned hydration, because obviously that's vital for the body to to flush anything out as well. And green vegetables, there's so much research on how they can bind with things in the body and help remove them. So there's so many benefits there. Um, and I would like to switch gears a little bit, because one area that isn't often talked about, but that I know you and I have discussed a little bit, at least via email, is um, exercise-induced asthma being related to MTHFR. And I know a lot of moms and friends of mine have children with exercise-induced asthma. So can you explain the connection here and maybe some things that could help?
1: Yeah, again, great point. I mean, it's it's sad. I, I'm a soccer coach, and I was a, a former basketball coach too for, for my kids, but now I just do soccer. And, and uh, I have a number of, of kids on my soccer team with exercise-induced asthma and on my son's basketball teams, there's a lot of kids. And so I start talking with these parents and, you know, they... I mean, there's like five kids on each team with asthma, exercise-induced asthma. And I was like, what the heck? And uh, so I start talking with the parents and I, I talk to them about B12 and methylfolate and glutathione. And, and I, I give them these things. And these kids, I, I recently picked up my oldest son from a basketball uh, practice And I hadn't seen this family in a while since uh, I talked with the mother and this kid has really bad exercise induced asthma and he was really, he was just hating it and and it was causing him to be benched. And so he saw me and he was so excited. I, I mean, I barely know this kid. And he ran up to me. He shook my hand probably like six times and his dad as well. And he goes, it's gone. Exercise induced asthma is gone. And he, he said, Thank you, thank you, thank you. And all I did was was support his methylation and his his detoxification systems. And it goes back to, to what we were just talking about: of of how methylation is so key to making our glutathione and our SAMI and how MTHR can inhibit all that. Now, inhibit means slow it down or prevent it from happening. So if you you can bypass these, these problems. You can go around your MTHFR gene defects by giving what MTHFR makes. I mean MTHFR makes methylfolate, right? So if MTHFR enzyme makes methylfolate, well you can take methylfolate. So that's great. Now you also need B12 with it to make it work. Remember the two thumbs and the two index fingers, that needs to that motion needs to happen. And then now glutathione is also needed. Now the reason of exercise-induced asthma is complicated, um, is complicated science, but when you exercise, uh, you are using up your ATP, and your ATP is your cellular energy, and as you use up your cellular energy, if you don't have enough nutrients to produce it again, then that will increase a certain compound in your body uh, called adenosine, and as adenosine accumulates, it can can increase histamine. Now you're saying okay what what does that have to do? Well adenosine levels can drop and go down naturally with B12 and methylfolate so if you have an adequate B12 and folate adenosine levels can go down if your adenosine levels go down then your histamine levels go down. Now histamine is a big problem for asthmatics and many of us know that so if you can reduce histamine that really helps reduce exercise-induced asthma as well. So there's, there's one connection. And another one is also glutathione. Glutathione is really, really important for the lungs. So if you have chronic lung infections or you know, a pneumonia or recurrent chest colds or, or uh, any type of chronic lung disease or asthma or difficulty breathing, uh, glutathione may be something to really consider. So those are the, those are the top three that I recommend for... X-rays induced asthma, Uh, again, B12, methylfolate, and glutathione. Now, it's, again, you have to reduce the input of problems. A lot of these kids are eating wheat and gluten, and they shouldn't be. I advise that as well. And sometimes you get the eye rolling, but, you know, sometimes I start with the least intervention first, the, the B12 and folate and the glutathione. But I always recommend to eat the leafy greens and to cut out the processed foods, including the the uh, reducing the sugars um, and uh, the gluten and dairy products are also very well, very, very known for asthma, especially if there's a skin disorder uh, associated with it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And that's so fascinating with the histamine connection there as well, because I know people who suffer from not even asthma, but they have histamine intolerance or histamine related issues. So maybe that'll be a helpful key for them as well. Um, and I cannot believe how fast time has flown. I love, I could talk about this all day, but a question I usually ask at the end just to kind of wrap up is, um, if someone is hearing about this and maybe is concerned that they have a gene defect or, um, maybe recognizes that they have some of these problems that we've talked about, what would be three first steps that might help them get on the track to, to reversing these or figuring out how to effectively deal with them?
1: The first three things is, is to, is to change your, your lifestyle diet and your environment. That's, that's step one. So you've got to reduce the burden. So if you have an MTHFR gene defect, the first thing that you need to do with it is to reduce the amount of work it has to do. Now, I have the gene defect of MTHFR personally. Mine is reduced capacity by about 70-75%. That means I cannot be drinking very much alcohol. That means I cannot be um, exposing myself to a lot of toxins. So And I can't be having yeast overgrowth in my gut, so I can't be eating a lot of sugar. So I do those things. I feel fine. Now if I start loading up on the ice cream and drinking alcohol and eating processed foods, I'm not going to be able to wake up in the morning. My brain isn't going to think. I won't be able to research and I won't be able to do the things I need to do. And I will feel bad and I'll have skin skin problems. I'll get eczema as well. So, um, so the first thing is that. So again, you can't out supplement or out exercise. It's a great comment that you have um, a, a problem. So Change your lifestyles, and it's going to take time. So don't beat yourself up over it. You know, if you just give yourself credit when you do it right, and take note when you're doing it wrong. And uh, you know how to eat. I mean, we all know what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be. And cleaning up your environment—it's a bit trickier. Uh, getting a water purifier is is uh, or filter is really important. Um, and Katie probably has some good recommendations for those. Um, sauna is great as well, and then just. Just keeping a a positive mindset is so, so important. If you are stressed out, then... (coughs) Excuse me. If you are stressed out, then stress increases methylation. It increases how fast it, it works. And this is proven by science. And I didn't pull this out of my hat. So I've read research articles... And what I, what a main recommendation that I have for people is to reduce stress and anxiety. And you can do that by going to bed on time, by going to, with walks and hanging out with friends that you really enjoy, not hanging out with people you don't enjoy, quitting your job if you hate your job. Um, you know, all these things make a big, big difference. Um, so really reducing your stress and anxiety is really important. And there's a, there's a great. Uh, Researcher out there. He used to teach at a med school at Stanford. Um, Actually, he didn't teach at Stanford. He researches at Stanford now. But uh, Bruce Lipton. So Bruce Lipton, he has the New Biology book, um, and he might have some things on YouTube for you guys to watch as well. But Bruce Lipton is a very empowering, funny, jovial guy, and I have the I've had the honor of watching him speak and present, and he is what influenced me. My first quarter first year of med school. And I saw him speak and he talked about how powerful the mind is in controlling our genetics and how we feel and what we do. And that has been resonating with me since, man, uh, was it 2002 is when I saw his work and it just blew me away. Um, So I really recommend that you watch his stuff. Um, and uh, get associated with his work. So I think those are the top recommendations I have.
0: That's such great advice, and the stress part definitely hits home with me. I've always said that's my biggest struggle with optimizing, especially with a family. As you know, it can be um, just very busy and uh, keeps you busy with life and stressful a little bit, but um, it's, for me, easier to optimize diet and that kind of thing, but stress and sleep are my struggles. so that's a great reminder for me. Um, And Dr. Ben, thank you so much for being here. You've given us so many amazing resources and all Try to make sure to link to all of those in the show notes so that people can find them and find you. Um, where would you like people to find you online to visit you and find out more?
1: Well, I think a, a great place to start so people can see visually about MTHFR and, and learn about folate, slash uh, gift would be a, a really good uh, introductory video for people. And it's just content, uh, it's really good content. And um, so I would say that would be more information for you. Um, I'm all about education first. So mtchfr.net is a, is a good resource too. And that is a website dedicated only to mtchfr. And there's a lot of articles there. There's a forum for asking questions with other people. Um, there's resources. Uh, and then seekinghealth.com is a supplement company that I've developed over the years. That's a result of all my research. As I researched, I, I realized that Folic acid is not what we need and so I started formulating things that we do need and our body can use and SeekingHealth.com is a, a result of, of my years of research and, and uh, it's a passion of mine. It's a good outlet and SeekingHealth.org again is uh, all education based. So those are the top three and then I, I'm on YouTube as well. You can find places on YouTube, you know, videos on there as well.
0: Perfect. And like I said, I'll make sure to include all those in the show note links at wellnessmama.com forward slash podcast. Dr. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time. I know how busy you are and I appreciate so much your willingness to share.
1: Well, thank you, Katie, and appreciate all you're doing. You're getting a lot of good education out there for people. Thank you for that.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wellness Mama podcast, where I provide simple answers for healthier families. If you would like to get my 7 Simple Steps for Healthier Families Guide for free, head on over to wellnessmama.com and enter your email and I'll send it over to you right away. You can also stay in touch on social media, facebook.com forward slash endless wellness or on Twitter and Instagram at wellnessmama. And I would also really appreciate it if you would take a second and subscribe to this podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you've ever benefited from something I talked about on this podcast, I would be really appreciative if you would leave a rating or review since that's how others are able to find this podcast and so we can help spread the message. Thanks as always for listening and for reading and for being on board with creating a future for our children that's healthier and happier. And until next time, have a healthy week.